Hello, and welcome to the Artificial Podcast, with your host Nick Myers. Artificial Intelligence. Voice Recognition. Machine Learning. Robotic. Actionable Analytics. It is Nick's goal to help everyone understand how AI and voice technology are reshaping our lives both personally and within organizations. Your glimpse into the growing world of AI and voice first starts now. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Welcome to the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and I am here to help break down topics in artificial intelligence and voice first to show everyone how these technologies are going to impact our lives both personally and within organizations. The Artificial Podcast is brought to you by Red Fox AI, helping give brands a voice to the power of AI and voice assistant technology. Welcome back to another episode of the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and I am here to help guide you through the world of artificial intelligence, voice assistant technology, and as I've kind of been focusing on these last few weeks, I think just technology overall, because the world is rapidly being reshaped by the advent of some of these amazing technologies, and especially in 2020, they're only going to grow, and it's very important that you have a solid understanding of the impact they have. This week, I am excited to welcome Martin Stratton to the Artificial Podcast. Martin studied psychology and artificial intelligence at university, and after graduation, he began working as a web developer. He began his career working for the U.S. e-commerce startup Buy.com, which, without really planning on it, started his journey working in online retail. Martin later spent eight years at a fast-growing online fashion company, Asus.com, Working at Asus.com in more of, more of a strategy role led him to his current project, AbleStyle, which is designed to help everyone get dressed better by helping them answer the question, what shall I wear today? Martin, welcome to the Artificial Podcast. How are you doing? Hey, thanks, Nick. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm good, thank you. Fantastic. And I know you and I connected over Twitter when I put my call for guests out a couple of weeks ago, which I always appreciate. And especially I like getting a varied set of people on the podcast who come from different backgrounds. And you're the first person I've had with an e-commerce background, which is really exciting because I think as you can agree, Amazon specifically over the past decade has taken the world by storm in terms of e-commerce and a lot of it's powered by data and AI. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's just incredible what Amazon has achieved in such a short time, I think. I, yeah, I think we all can agree that especially for those of us working in the voice assistant space specifically, just watching the rise of Alexa and what that has done for e-commerce as well is just incredible. So I'm really excited to get to chat with you about a couple of things here. But first and foremost, you know, maybe you can talk a bit about what led you to get started in artificial intelligence and maybe ultimately how that led you into voice assistant technology and where you're currently at right now with uh, Able Style. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I, I did AI and psychology uh, in university. Um, that was back when I, if I told people I was doing AI, they used to think it was stood for artificial insemination, which uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was not what I was hoping the reaction to be. But uh, ever since then, obviously, AI has just been a growing field, and uh, there's certainly no confusion these days when you mention AI. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I got into it initially just because I, I found the idea fascinating. I mean, this was sort of uh, in the late 90s, that's when I was at university, and um, I guess that was in the, the end of the sort of second AI winter. Um, it was before the, the re-advent of neural networks and all the exciting mm -hmm. things that have happened on them 
in sort of the, the last 10 years or so. Right. Um, so I was just studying it because it was fascinating. Um, and I love the combination of doing that with psychology because you get the sort of understanding of the human um, intelligence and psychology alongside how, how you might model that and implement that with machines. Um, yeah, but having said that, having left uh, university, I, as you said, I got into web development um, and didn't really use the AI side of things again uh, until quite recently. So I just sort of went into web development, e-commerce, mm -hmm. those sorts of things. And it's only really in the last uh, couple of years where I've started working on a, on a, voice, on a voice app that um, I've sort of started dipping my toes into the AI side of things again. Fantastic. So having worked then, or at least gotten started in artificial intelligence back in the late 90s, what has the evolution of that been like for you seeing how it was back in the late 90s, of course, till now, where you mentioned, of course, we have different facets of that being neural networks. And I mean, I'm sure the machine learning component was always around, but specifically like neural networks and some of these more denser facets of the technology. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... Funnily enough, the, the, as I understand it, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert these days in AI, but the, the core um, sort of approaches don't seem to have changed that much. I mean, the mm -hmm. things that Google are doing with DeepMind um, are based, as I understand it, broadly on the same neural network technology that I learned back at university. I think what's changed Interesting. is the, uh, the capability to manage the amount of data, the faster processing speeds, um, and the ability to to get hold of the data in the first place so those three things i think have just made neural networks a a viable proposition whereas before they were they were more theoretical because there was just never right. there wasn't any way of implementing a deep neural network 10 20 years ago right well and of course with the rise of the internet specifically over the past two decades too, just the access to data that we now have, which, yeah. which essentially helps train all these different models to do what they do. And, you know, especially taking a look at your e-commerce background, one of the biggest areas where we're collecting data is in consumer data and retail. So I think it almost kind of worked hand in hand, oddly enough, with the rise in e-commerce and that data collection, which ultimately helped artificial intelligence overall get better at more efficient, which is really fascinating. So how did working for an early e-commerce startup like buy.com influence your perspective on AI specifically when it comes to retail, or maybe your just perspective on retail overall? Well, to be honest, I mean, back then it was, uh, there, there really wasn't any thought of AI. Um, in the, that was the early 2000s, I was at buy.com. Uh, it was literally, um, you know, where the web technology and selling online was new enough that mm -hmm. uh, that took up all of the sort of human bandwidth of how do we make this thing work? So the, the whole focus was literally on, can we get a checkout that takes someone's money and doesn't, <laughs> you know, doesn't break during the process? Right. Um, and I think uh, it's only, you know, there's even now there's very few, I would say, uh, very few retailers, I would say, really making any good use of AI online or even offline. I mean, I think both, both use cases are, are available nowadays, but you, the amount of data you need to have limits it to quite a sort of small subset of retailers, I think. Gotcha. Yeah, because especially when you look at some of those early e-commerce websites, I mean, I can only imagine even what they were doing at the time, specifically looking at a startup like buy.com, even trying to convince people to buy online. And I'm sure even in the early days of that, uh, you know, Amazon, of course, has their whole one day shipping now. 
I, what, what was shipping like for buy.com? Was that something that people still had to pay a lot of money for at the time? And, and how was their infrastructure for that? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I think it wasn't too bad. It was maybe two or three days worth. I mean, I was only working on the UK version of buy.com and obviously the UK is a very small country, so right. it doesn't, quite, doesn't take too long to ship anything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it was, I think it was maybe three or four pounds and two or three days. So actually back then, it even, even then it wasn't too bad, but then obviously the volumes were so much lower as well. Um, so that wasn't, a, that wasn't a huge part of the problem. As I recall it, um, it was you know trying to trying to design um, a platform that mm -hmm. worked that scaled because you know there was quite fast growth just by virtue of the internet growing back then. So right. know, we had to, and we had to sort of it was a matter of designing each part as we went along because I mean these days you can use uh, Shopify and Instacart and all those things and you can run up an e-commerce store in five minutes. Absolutely, but that certainly wasn't the case back then. Yeah, I was actually, that's interesting you bring up Shopify. I was just reading an article, I think it was uh, two days ago, about how the tables could be turning just a bit on Amazon because for so long, in order to get your products sold online, as Amazon has grown and become a dominant force in the space, you have had to use them to hold your merchandise or use them to list your products or service. But now with something like Shopify, where you can create an e-commerce site within minutes and link it to Stripe or a different third-party payment account, anybody can create an online e-store in minutes, essentially. And mm. people have actually started leaving Amazon in mass, which I did not know. Uh, Nike was one of them I actually read. Um, mm. There's been a, a, a handful of smaller boutique brands that have left Amazon to open their own Shopify store. So I think that's really interesting and something that will be fascinating to watch, especially over the next decade as that is democratized a bit more, you don't necessarily have to use a larger online retailer to sell your products because it's so easy to spin up your own e-commerce store these days, which I think is really interesting, especially as we look at it from a technological standpoint. Yeah, I mean, that is fascinating. And it sort of comes into, I mean, we'll probably get onto it a bit later, but the whole voice space and why, what are the motivations of these big companies to try and launch their voice assistants. But um, the, the, the huge challenge with all retail um, is access to audience. So um, what's happened over the last few years is the large companies, Google, Facebook through Instagram, well, and Facebook itself, and Amazon, um, they have almost entirely um, sewn up access to audience. So uh, in the Western world, anyway, um, mm -hmm. you can't really get any good audience without paying Google or Facebook or um, putting your product on Amazon because they're so dominant in terms of allowing people to find things that um, you, you know there's there's really the, the old tweaks of um, you know in the in the early days of social media you could actually get quite a lot of free audience just by being good at oh, social absolutely media. with organic reach and that's changed yeah. and there's still a little bit of that but um, a lot of it these days is you have to you have to pay the price to get your get in front of the people. Um, and I think that that's why, going back to your Shopify comment, um, so if you contrast the Shopify experience with Amazon, so Amazon is, I think it's something like 50% of all searches for something to buy, people go straight to Amazon nowadays because it's mm -hmm. just a behemoth and you know that it's going to have what you need or what you want. So they're taking Google and Facebook out of the loop. Um, but 
if you've got you know um, really unique and um, lovable brands who have a, um, a direct presence via Shopify, um, then as long as the as long as those companies have got a way to still reach audience, so they can use Google or Facebook to mm-hmm. find their audience either via you know on Instagram via influencers, for example, um, then um, they've they sort of they can have they can have their own direct consumer offering, um, and if they've got you know a good reliable and efficient and you know well managed platform just out of the box via Shopify, then that that model works for them. I think that's what's changed in the in the last few years is that Shopify's got so good at enabling that for people that you don't need to be on Amazon so much. But Absolutely. And I was actually reading in that same article, it was saying, you know, kind of to your point where you said you had to kind of play by the rules of Amazon or Google and pay to play to get discovered where now, because there are so many more options with different social media platforms, even if you spend a couple hundred dollars on a Facebook ad or Instagram ad, you can get your product out in front of thousands of people while still maintaining a majority of ownership on that Shopify website, which I think a lot of people of course, would rather prefer than having to play more or less by the rules of Amazon or Google, which I think is fascinating. And it's something that everybody in in retail is going to need to pay more attention to over the next decade. But, you know, overall, when it comes to just artificial intelligence, and now as you've transitioned into voice, what is one thing that intrigues you the most about, you know, either technology, both technologies, um, as you've been working with them? Um, Yeah, great question. I think um, the, the talking about voice, the thing that really intrigues me with voice, because it's such a sort of nascent technology, um, is what, it, what are going to be those breakthrough use cases? Because um, I think there just hasn't been anything that really showcases voice as, um, wow, this just exists yeah. now because voice exists now, in the same way that Instagram exists because cameras on phones exist. Right. Um, and I, I sort of think there's there's going to be some, and I, unfortunately I can't think what they are because if I did, I'd be building them. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't be talking to me right now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, th- I just think there's going to be uh, what what are those going to be? Um, and it, it that fascinates me, uh, and I'm really looking forward to what what's going to come out of some of those, you know, some of the innovations that hopefully will happen over the next couple of years. Absolutely. And I, you know, there's a lot, I, I spent a lot of time on Twitter and there's been a lot of discussion, it seems over the past six months about this, where, you know, there's people on one side who think, oh, there's going to be this killer app, if you will, that's going to just launch everybody into voice, bring into the mainstream market, and everybody's going to almost treat it like the iPhone in the app store, where we don't really remember a day before we had it. And there's other people who say, well, because of the way the technology is, and because of the, the way we interact with it being communication and and speaking you you can't look at it from that perspective and there may not necessarily be a killer app it just is going to be more technologically embedded in our lives so there's a handful of different arguments i'm seeing on that but i truly think we're getting to that point where we're going to see somebody build and create something that's going to solve a very specific problem and people will realize well if it can solve this problem well then it can solve this problem And, and we're going to start seeing more of that as the the thought process shifts a bit more, I think. And I know, of course, we'll talk a bit about what you're working on. And I know I've spoken with you about a product that we're working on at Red Fox AI, also in retail. So I, th- I think it'll be really 
interesting to see who builds what and if we'll actually get that quote unquote killer app that a lot of people are thinking about over the next couple of years. But mm. transitioning but, now in, into that, maybe but, talk, oh, go ahead. I was just going to just, because I think you made some really interesting points there. And I think uh, that the sort of, to my mind, the extension of what you just said is that the, uh, I think there's going to be, I don't think there'll be a killer app on voice that is just voice only. I think right. it is going to be a blended multimodal experience. So I don't think voice, there, there will be voice only services, but I don't think there'll be anything that's just kind of, you know, a killer app that's right. just voice. But I think what we may get is a breakthrough that only exists because of voice. So, so I think it's a subtle distinction, but I think that's, that's kind of what I'm waiting for is, is there going to be a new app that only exists because of voice? Absolutely. And, and I, I'm glad you brought up the whole multimodal thing because I think there's a lot of people either focused just on building strictly for an Amazon Echo smart speaker or people who are focused just strictly on building for a Google Home or just a voice-specific device. But if you start looking at more different integrations of this, say the smartphone, even devices like the Echo Show, and then designing for hearables, I mean, those are all different layers of development that tap into this technology. And if you can encompass all of those, I think that's really going to generate the unique experience that people are looking for. And I know when you and I kind of had our intro meeting, this is something we talked about as well, that you know, you shouldn't necessarily not still pay attention to voice on a smartphone or voice on a different visual medium, because I think those are still going to be very strong players in the evolution of this. Definitely, definitely. Well, good. And I think with that, I, I would like to transition into you talking about Able Style um, and what problem you're hoping to solve with it and, and what you've been working on. Yeah, thanks. Um, so Able Style, um, as you said in the intro, the, the aim of it is to help answer the question, what shall I wear today? So um, through my background at ASOS.com, so ASOS is an online fashion retailer, um, and it was, it's grown, it grew hugely from um, sort of mid-2000s, it's still growing now, um, and it does a phenomenal job at selling um, clothes, uh, fashion. Um, but when I, while I was there, the key thing that it didn't do, and really no retailer does for the fairly obvious reason, um, is help you wear the things you already own. Um, so obviously there's, there's no money in particularly or directly in helping people wear the things right. they already own. Because they want to sell and you yet, new stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yet the, our experience with our clothes, um, the huge majority of that experience is with the things we already own. So every day we've got to make the choice of what we're going to wear. So um, I started thinking, well, actually, if you can, if you can help people answer that question, you can um, hopefully start to build a really good relationship with them via the service, which they turn to for assistance on a daily basis. And then hopefully you can gain the permission to make them recommendations on what to buy later down mm -hmm. the line. But the primary focus is on helping them every day to decide the thing to wear. So, um, yeah, so I started building this sort of before um, I really considered the voice space. So I built it um, as uh, it's an online web service, uh, mostly. Um, and then uh, Google launched their Actions on Google API. Mm -hmm. So I, the, Alexa was a bit behind over here, so I didn't actually pay that much attention to Alexa. Um, and this was uh, December 2017, Google launched their API, and I suddenly, it just suddenly struck with me that, hang on a minute, um, what I'm trying to achieve is, 
almost perfect for a voice use case because mm -hmm, absolutely you have, you have to ask that question or you have to answer that question every day what should i wear um, and if you could ask it out loud to the device that's uh, in your bedroom you don't want to be holding your phone because you're kind of walking around getting ready in the morning before you go out so if you could ask it out loud and this can give you suggestions inspiration you know and as able style does it sort of takes account of what the weather is you can dial it up and down in terms of the smartness you want um you can you know find the find the thing you want so you might you might think um i'm going to wear my blue sweater today so you can ask able style hey uh how can I wear my blue sweater? And it will pull together an outfit that's got your blue sweater and some other things from your wardrobe in it um, and give you a suggestion. So that's kind of how, how I sort of started developing the, the voice side of the, the concept, really. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting specifically because you are solving a daily problem that a lot of people have. I mean, I, I can't think of a single person that I don't know who doesn't ask the question, what am I going to wear today or what shall I wear today? I mean, the moment I hop out of bed and do my morning routine, I'm already starting to think about what am I going to wear? And of course, it's based on all these different factors of weather and mood and different things. So I think it's really fascinating that you're building something that really is just nascent in somebody's living space already where they perform this activity where they can get that recommendation. Yeah, it's funny because... Um... When I when I tell people about it, that, that often there's a sort of pushback saying, "Yeah, what about people like uh, Steve Jobs who just wore you know the same thing <laughs> like turtlenecks and uh, blue jeans every day?" Yeah, and uh, and I sort of think, well, it's a good point, but he uh, the, the the argued reason for that was it's uh, sort of takes another decision away from him that he doesn't need to do. But if you can make make it so low friction to have a different thing to wear each day, then uh, why not? I mean, wearing different things is more interesting. I think. I mean, right. Well, and especially I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people own a lot of different types of apparel that, you know, maybe you buy it because it looks good in the store, you wear it once and then it gets shoved away somewhere and you never wear it again. But what if you can recycle through your wardrobe continuously without necessarily having to go every month or two to the, to the store to buy a different piece of apparel or shop online, whatever you do. I mean, to me, that's a cost savings as well for people. So this are, there's also a monetary benefit to this. Yeah, there's monetary benefit and there's also environmental benefit um, coming from a world of, you know, ASOS was known as a fast fashion retailer. Um, and it's, uh, it's the world that encourages consumerism. And I think uh, people are turning away from that a little bit these days. And, and we have a bit more uh, recognition of the cost to the environment of, you know, buying a new shirt every single week or whatever it might be. Um, and when you consider that, I think there's the stats are something like the average person wears only 20% of their wardrobe on a regular basis. And you have all these things that, um, you know, you, you could wear, but you don't because you just get into habits or, you know, it's what's at the front of the wardrobe or you can't remember how you wore those things. So what I'm hoping is that you, it can encourage more, as you said, more usage of the things that you bought and less need to buy something new. If you are going to buy something new, then... yeah let's help you buy something that works with the things you already own. Yeah. To your point about people being more conscious of what they wear and, and how they procure it. I, I actually was reading again. I, I just, I just find things on the internet that I read and I just start going down a rabbit hole with them. But I was reading, there is a, a bit of a generational difference happening between, you know, Gen X and millennials to Gen Z about how, what, what they, what they buy for apparel, where they buy it 
and how often they keep it. And there is a very stark generational difference between millennial and Gen X. And there's an even bigger difference between Gen Z and millennial. And they're all focusing more on boutique type apparel or things that are very niche. You know, it's not like just going into a Macy's and buying, um, you know, Michael Kors or uh, what's the one that starts with Z? Cal McCline, you know, some of these more mainstream brands mm. and different things, people are starting to focus on more boutique niche things. And then especially when you look at companies like Stitch Fix and different things that are offering more boutique type clothes, like I've used Stitch Fix before and there's brands that I now own clothes from that I never would have known about otherwise. I yeah. think that people are, are looking more for that as opposed to just more mainstream fashion outlets. And I think something like Able Style will help people recycle through more of that so you can you know feel feel like you got your money's worth and and know that oh maybe i don't necessarily need to keep buying clothes i have all these different things i can mix and match that i never would have thought about prior so i think what you're building is really fascinating thank you yeah yeah i mean that's you've, you've sort of outlined some really good sort of key use cases there really absolutely so when it comes to developing for i guess alexa and google assistant how has it been from a strategy and development perspective trying to build something with so many moving parts it sounds like as able style has uh, yeah it's uh, it's 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 quite complicated i'll be honest um i think um right from the start i have made the decision to try and uh abstract away the sort of interface really so a lot of the um how it works and how it matches up things in the outfits and those sort of things are not really um they're not specific to the output modality. So be it Alexa or Google Assistant or the website, right. it's sort of in the background, it does the, the same thing each time. So, and that's, I'm so glad I did that. I mean, it's sort of an obvious programming approach, but I'm glad I did because it has made it an awful lot easier to manage um, the different things that are happening. I mean, I think what's, um, what's quite interesting as you talk about the moving spaces, obviously um, Alexa and Google are they there's they haven't nailed down um, how they're implementing it themselves so right. uh, as a developer you're sort of waiting for the next you know next change to come in which may or may not affect what you've done um, and I think uh, that, that's why you need to or for me it was it was good to then abstract out a lot of the key functionality and then I can choose if Alexa happens to <laughs> happens to implement a new um, feature that's useful for what I'm doing, then I can choose to bring that in right. um, and hopefully find that Google will do the same thing or something similar that I can bring in as, as well later in the day. Well, especially as it seems they're launching new features, I find it feels like every other week. I know it's not every other week, but it feels like with how much they're, they're innovating and rolling out and adding new features that, you know, it's, it's hard to keep up on because we do some development at Red Fox AI as well. And even something we've been building for one of our clients in Australia on the Google Action side, they've released so many different updates even since we started building that a couple of months ago that we're having readjust consistently to what we're building because, you know, like you said, as much as we're trying to figure it out as, as third-party folks trying to build businesses or different products from it, they're also just, as the provider, still figuring out and adding new features, which is a, a really interesting thing I find for all of us working in the space right now. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So how do you think overall, and, and maybe we talked about this a bit earlier, but what do you think the biggest opportunity is that you think AI and voice bring to the table as we head into the next decade? And that can either be from just your background working in it over a, a couple of 
um, decades here or more or less what you're working on now. What do you think the biggest opportunity is for these technologies as we head through the next decade? Um, yeah, I think um, the thing with voice um, is it's, it, it's quite, the, the output of voice, when, it, when one of these devices speaks to you, it's quite hard to um, take, take on board too much of what they say. So if, if your voice device tells you too much, you're not going to remember it and you lose track. Right. And, and you, they're kind of not, they're good for short, sharp sort of outputs. But conversely, and I don't think this has been uh, really explored as much as it could be and will be, they're actually really good for um, really rich input. So, um, and I think that's something that, is going to be a massive opportunity that's going to come through with voice in the future. So to give an example, when you've got, um, if you're trying to select, um, say, um, I'm using a retail example. So I, if I'm trying to filter down on a, in a category for a sweater. So, you know, the mm-hmm. options are the knit type, the color, the price, um, you know, the, the size to do that with touch and tap. Um, you've got to use a, a lot of drop-down lists. You, right. you know, typing it takes a long time. It's a lot of swipes, taps. It's a lot of UX that. to that. Absolutely. Yeah, you do that on the phone. That's you know becomes quite hard work. Whereas you can do that sort of thing in literally half a second with one sentence in voice. It's you know show me the medium black sweaters under a hundred pounds, um, and you're done. So I think um, that that ability of voice to condense your requirement. In those sort of situations, I think um, it's going to be a huge opportunity that I think people around, you know, businesses will start to really um, start to implement. And I think that will, as consumers, as users, I think we'll start to really get the benefits of that as as we see um, these sort of... tried to coin a coin a new term micro buoys so micro voice user interfaces dotted around uh, websites so i think what we might see is in in a in particular instances on websites you'll see the little microphone icon and instead of doing the drop down list and all that sort of thing you can just, just use voice just use voice to get through that part of your experience and you might not con- you might not do the whole thing in voice but you might just achieve that specific task and then you'll go back to tapping and typing after that and i think that that's for me what's really exciting is the, the potential for this this real mixed modality of um uses of our devices um to really streamline the way we interact with computers and try and achieve the things we want to get done with them Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really key opportunity to focus in on. And I know there's a lot of research currently being done in just the field of conversational AI and how, of course, to get over some of these humps we have where you can only communicate so much with the technology and the device until, of course, it, it starts freaking out and doesn't necessarily capture everything you want it to. But I, I agree with you. I think a lot of these micro voice experiences built into websites and even in more different facets of the home. I mean, instead of having smart speakers peppered around the house, I mean, I guarantee over the next decade, there are going to be some home builders or uh, commercial real estate developers or multi-unit dwelling developers integrating just voice directly into the walls of what they're building because mm, it's going yeah. to become that seamless into our lives. I mean, I actually think they're, I brought this up before. There is a there's a developer, a home builder out here in the U.S. that actually is 
integrating, I think, voice technology. I can't remember if it's Alexa or Google. I think it's Google into all of their new developments. And there's a couple different hotel chains that are providing this as well. So mm. I think that opportunity to have more of these micro voice experiences and interfaces and just the regular day-to-day of our lives is only going to grow in the next decade. And I think that's a, a very big opportunity. Mm. I think, um, and another, another space which I haven't seen that much about is using that sort of thing in business itself. So in the, in the back ends of the businesses, if you think about the amount of data input that people have to do on various jobs, um, if, you, if they can start to be um, sprinkled with voice capability, then I think that could revolutionize the, you know, the speed and efficiency with which people working in offices can get their job done. Absolutely. And it's funny because for so long before Microsoft announced late last year that they were pulling Cortana from the consumer side, I was like convinced that, oh, they're really going to do some neat stuff with this from the enterprise perspective and different things. Mm. And they may still, but the fact that they pulled back on even the consumer facing side of Cortana almost has me kind of second guessing that now thinking maybe they're just giving up on Cortana in general, because of course, as we know, Microsoft has always been the enterprise tech company. You know, their main mm. focus has always been business. And of course, with the Office 365 suite and different things, there were so many opportunities I found for them to potentially integrate that into the enterprise. And, you know, with them pulling back Cortana from the consumer, and it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with it there. Because I think, back to your point, there are a lot of opportunities for business processes to be streamlined. I mean, that's one of the things we talk about with some of the clients we go into and visit with is, you know, what is a problem that you're dealing with internally that you could just switch over to a voice interface and be solved? And I think there, there's a lot of critical thinking that needs to be done, but there are so many simple internal business processes that can just be solved through this interface. Hmm. Yeah, uh, so you're already um, starting to get some sort of conversations with companies about that sort of thing. That's really cool. Oh, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing for companies we're finding is, you know, they're always, of course, their whole goal is how can we monetize this? How can we generate more revenue? What is the ROI from this? And a lot of the questions we're getting is related to voice search and discoverability and and different things. But the fact of the matter about voice search, even it's still a lot of unknowns. It's still uncharted waters. You know, everybody is still figuring out, okay, how does voice search actually work? What do you need to optimize for? And there's things, of course, that we've seen and, and, and we can consult on and help strategize and optimize for, but everything is still changing day by day. So, you know, how, how really do you monetize something like voice search and some of these different things is a hurdle that we've had to overcome and, and still just making the business use case for it has, has been an interesting up and down, I'll tell you that much. So, <laughs> which is why, you know, I, I think I mentioned you were focusing kind of on two sides with what we're doing, helping businesses leverage this, and then also focusing on the product we're building, which I would advise a lot of people look at. You know, I think, you know, looking at what you're building and different things, I think there's more opportunity right now in developing a really solid product that can be multimodal, leverage some of these different facets of the technology and solve a problem for somebody, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But... You know, since you've kind of been building your product for quite some time now, and of course you've had a career in, in e-commerce and retail, what, what are some tips that you have for anyone looking to start a career in AI or voice, or, or maybe just somebody who wants to develop a product like you've been doing? Uh, ooh. 
Um, I think um, in terms of getting into voice, um, really just start playing with it. Uh, I think that the tools that Alexa and Google and, and Bixby, we haven't really touched on Bixby, but them as well, have um, the tools they've released to enable you to get started on building things is uh, are really good now. So to build something simple, you can get in and do that really quickly and it's just good fun. Um, it's really interesting. The first time you build something and it talks back to you. I mean, I'm still sort of surprised by right. that when I, it's so when cool. I talk to what I built. <laughs> I sort of, hey, Able Style, what shall I wear? And it talks back to me, and I'm, I'm still surprised by that every time. Um, but beyond the sort of simple use cases, I think that the key thing is what's, uh, what do you know about? What, what's, if you're really going to build a service that does a good job with these things, you, you do need a sort of good idea about what the use cases are, what, what are people going to ask, and then how are you really going to answer those? And I think a lot of um, the challenge with voice is not really about the technology um, and implementing the actual voice aspects because the, the third parties, the big platforms, abstract away a lot of the challenges with that. The, the difficulty is how do, you, um, how do you expose some really useful content or data in a way that's useful? Mm -hmm. So to, to give the example of what I'm building, how do you, to, to answer the question of what should I wear today, you've got to know you know, what, what's a good outfit? What's in the user's wardrobe? How do those things go together? What the weather is? What, you know, do they want something smart, casual? There's a lot of um, data and information required to give a good answer. Um, and that's the, each kind of, each niche that you might be able to achieve a good voice experience with. If you're building a voice experience, each niche is gonna have those sorts of data requirements. So where, where are you gonna, before you start sort of really delving in and spending a lot of time on something, I'd say, where, where's, your, where's the data coming from? How are, you gonna, how are you gonna create the good answers to the voice queries? Because they're, they're most likely gonna require quite heavy, or not heavy, but um, useful data that that's what's gonna need to be exposed. Absolutely. I think that's an excellent tip is trying to figure out what data you're collecting and how that can be applied to what you're building and specifically how you're going to design the voice experience and the conversation around that, especially if you're somebody looking to build a product because that's crucial because, you know, no matter what you use, Alexa, Google, even if you build an AI application, you're collecting data at the end of the day. So it's how you want to apply that, of course, how you want to be transparent with it and, and what you're going to do with that data, with what you build and, and how it's going to serve your customers. I think is something critical to think about as you're you're looking to jumpstart product development in this space. Hmm. Well, cool. Well, as we kind of wrap things up, Martin, I always ask uh, this this question at the end of all of my guests because I just love hearing all the different perspectives. But what is one thing that you think someone can do today to begin leveraging AI or voice technology, either personally or within their organization? Uh I've, uh, yeah, I've actually got two things, if that's all right. The first one is very important. So uh, the first one is uh, understand that you can interrupt by using the wake word. I just think so many of my friends that I've spoken to who tried using their devices, the Amazon one, I won't say the word again because it keeps interrupting me, but um, the Amazon one and the Google Assistant uh, don't realize that when it's talking to you, you can interrupt by saying the wake word again. 
and then mm-hmm. say the next thing you want. So that's that's one key tip, which I just don't think the platforms publish enough. Um, yeah. And the the other one is um, get a voice device with a screen. Yes. Absolutely. I genuinely think that um, although the voice-only devices are cool and they're quite nice to just sort of sit in the corner of the room, I find that I use the ones that I've got with screens so much more just because they, they remind you they're there. They are they're better for confirming what you asked was what you wanted because I think we still can't fully trust that they, they fully understand what we're asking and get the sort of confirmation of everything each time. Whereas with the screen, you can just look at it and you know that it's done what you asked it to do. Exactly. Um, and also, they, you, you can ask something and then it can provide much more detailed information via the screen, which as, uh, as we talked about before, you, you just can't get the detailed information via voice because as a human, you just switch off after a short while. Absolutely. So, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I got an Echo Show for the holidays and I love it. I don't know why I didn't get an Echo Show sooner, but I have it on my desk and it is probably one of the best products next to AirPods that I've that I've owned because of that visual component that they've layered onto the voice component. So do you have echo shows or, or Google uh, home hubs? I'm assuming. Uh, I've got echo shows. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like it. That's <laughs> a, definitely a solid product for those who are listening, who have not dove into the echo show environment yet. This is, this is something to, to look at for sure. I completely agree with what you're saying, Martin, that, you know, we're still looking for that visual component you know, even though we're, we're trying to train ourselves to just trust the, the voice output, but that visual component confirms everything. I think that's excellent advice. Yeah, just because it's voice doesn't mean it has to be voice only. I think that's, that's my exactly. learning from having tried using these things for the last few years. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing so? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. My uh, handle is at S-T-R-T-T-N. So that's my surname with all the vowels taken out. Uh, So yeah, that's the best way. Fantastic. Well, Martin, it's been great interviewing you. I'm I'm really excited to keep in touch and and follow up with you on all your developments with Able Style. And I really appreciate you taking the time to interview and share your knowledge with all the listeners. Yeah, thanks, Nick. It's been great talking to you too. Thanks for having me on. Yep, fantastic chat soon. You've been listening to the Artificial Podcast with your host Nick Myers. To stay up to date with all our latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. To learn more about how your organization can benefit by unlocking the power of AI and voice, visit www.redfox-ai.com. Until next time.